Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Big star to put on the calendar. Amen. Going to be turned to Acts chapter number 2. Didn't get finished with our lesson last week, so I'm going to... My uh, objective tonight is just do a little review of last week and finish up what I did not finish last week. And so, uh, we'll just see where that takes us here this evening. We are still in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Going to begin reading with verse number one as our springboard here tonight, which was the case last week as well. Last week we started talking about the Spirit-filled church, and so this is just a continuation. If you're taking notes, you just put continue. Amen. This is Spirit-filled church continued, and it should continue and continue. Acts 2, verse 1, the Bible says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. Some places the Scripture calls it Holy Spirit. Both words in the Greek are exact same thing. They just want to choose to translate ghost here and spirit there. Same thing. Amen. I want to talk to you about a spirit-filled church. Father, I love you tonight. I appreciate, God, who and what you are. God, what you mean to me, Lord Jesus, in this body of believers. I pray, oh God, that we could, Lord, glean something from the word of God tonight. God, for he spoke, Lord Jesus, to his disciples, said, in them you think you have life. God, and they speak of you. And so, Lord Jesus, there are the words of eternal life, God, that's bound up, God, within these books, God, that we have before us. We're grateful tonight for them. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen and amen. Church, say amen. Amen. That must be Liam helping me out there. That's all right, man. He worships, raises his hand in the whole nine yards. It's always exciting to see that. Amen. And kids, they take their cue from their environment, that is for sure take their cue from their environment just for a little bit of a review in case you might have slept a night or two since last Wednesday uh, we started talking about the spirit-filled church we started talking about how this great occurrence or what we would deem the birth of the church the first experience of God not just being with people but in people happening on the day of Pentecost which was a festival of the Jews one of the three main feasts Pentecost was one of them uh, alongside with uh, Passover and Pentecost there, or Passover and Tabernacles, there was uh, Pentecost. And it was a great time of celebration. And uh, the Lord, in his ultimate wisdom, knew exactly what he was doing to have at this particular festival where there would be people from a variety of nations that would gather together for this celebration of different races and different uh, Uh, languages to be able to come together for this occasion and this would be the time that he would pour out his spirit and so this is something that is just very wonderful as a matter of fact there is almost a reversal if you will of what happened in uh, Genesis 11 and 12 where the people had come together in a mode of unity 
to build a tower they said that would reach up into heaven the tower of Babel and if you'll remember when they said that and had a desire or a direction to do that that the Lord came down and that he confused their languages there and their tongues and divided the languages of the people because of what they had set in their hearts to do and now at Pentecost he comes together where there's people where there's a variety of languages and he fills them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they spoke in other tongues and so where he brought division in the languages before he seemingly brings a little bit of a unity back to uh, a body of people through the, the, the vehicle of language and his spirit and so uh, we understood last week also that uh, some of the things that uh, centered around Pentecost on this inaugural if you will address of the spirit coming and birthing the church that there was a sound from heaven heaven as a rushing mighty wind and there was also uh, appeared unto them cloven tongues like as fire and we went back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus about when the law was first given how it was met with, with quaking and smoke and, and the loud sound of the trumpet but at every successive time that the law was spoken about or given those things did not necessarily accompany it because that was when it was first given and so likewise whenever the spirit first came and gave the first birth of the church we have a sound as a rushing mighty wind and there appeared cloven tongues like as fire but we do not see that occurring reoccurring in the other places of scripture where people receive the holy ghost however we do see them still yet speak in other tongues as the spirit gives the utterance and so we talked a little bit about an old covenant an Old Testament and a New Covenant and a New Testament that God was bringing to His people. A new day was dawning right here in Acts chapter number 2. Up to this point of time, uh, sometimes we don't really process this, but all throughout the Gospels was a life that was being lived under the Old Testament law. Uh, the Old Covenant in reality. It's not until the day of Pentecost that we have this, this turn of events that we are now no longer living under law from Pentecost forward, but it is under, it's under grace. It is under uh, the, the dispensation of the church. It's the age of the church. And we also learned, I'm trying not to review too much, but just bring us up to speed. I got the time to do it. Nevertheless, uh, also uh, that, that we, we learned through Scripture that the Bible says that he gave the Holy Ghost uh, to them that obeyed him. And so that there is participation in this reception of the Holy Ghost, though it may be a gift, we do obey through our repentance and through our baptism the Word of God. And remember, they were stationed at Jerusalem, which was the exact location that he had told them to go. And so they were obedient in staying there, waiting, or if you will, expecting for the Holy Ghost or this power from on high to come down upon them. Also, when we talk about the Holy Ghost, as I just started out tonight, some people you call it the Holy Spirit. Other places in Scripture, it's called the Spirit of Christ or the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's called a birth. It's called living water, a comforter. In the epistles, it's spoken as the Spirit of adoption. And so there's various means that it is called by, but it is all the same thing. It's not a, uh, well, over here is the Spirit of adoption. That's separate from the Holy Ghost. They are all one in the same thing and speak of the same Thing. We even spoke a little bit about how the Lord had a will or talking about a testament that that testament could not go in effect until the testator died and we talked about then the death of the Lord Jesus Christ brought in the impact if you will of what was written his will and we know that it's his will that uh, we would be redeemed from our sin and that we would be saved but he had to die 
in order for that to take place. Whenever we see throughout the book of Acts, there's much preaching and teaching. They're all the time talking about the resurrection, and that's fine. Them talking about the resurrection is not them just honing in on that fact and then not taking into consideration the death and the burial. Because it goes to reason, if you had a resurrection, somebody had to be buried, and so somebody had to die. So when they rejoice over the resurrection, it kind of encompasses all of that because there would be no resurrection if someone didn't bury and someone wouldn't be buried if someone didn't die. So whenever they're underscoring the resurrection, it's really underscoring the death, burial, and the resurrection because one just presupposes, if you will, the other amen we talked a little bit about how anybody that was spoken of before acts number two as uh, being infilled with the holy ghost were basically controlled by the holy ghost but were not infilled as you and i are presently infilled by the holy ghost because that would be totally contradictory to john chapter number seven whenever he spoke about how this holy ghost he spoke about that they should believe on and receive but it was not yet given because christ was not yet glorified so there was no real absolutely infilling of the Holy Ghost until the glorification of Christ Jesus. That's him being glorified on a cross and even ultimately glorified to going up into the heavens. All right. And so this, this is not going to take place for anybody until that has happened. So anybody prior to that, the word filled many times in New Testament scripture. And the Greek also means control. And so whenever John was filled with the Holy Ghost from his birth, he was controlled, he was guided, he was directed, if you will, by the Holy Ghost from birth. And we see him being a great forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even in his day, preaching repentance and remission of sins. Amen. And so as we spoke a few of those things, we delved a little bit into the concept and the idea that everybody that is born of the Spirit is similar as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus is like the wind can't see where it comes or where it goes but you hear the sound thereof and so everybody that's filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost or with the Spirit of God everyone that is born of the Spirit is like that you will hear the sound thereof amen we talked a little bit about Cornelius we talked about what happened to them and how the apostle uh, how Peter said to a few after that account that they received the like gift as we did. Just like we did on the day of Pentecost, they received the exact same thing in so much he said, don't put any difference between what we received and what they have received. We received the same things and in both of those episodes in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, they knew they had received the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues. And so they said they received the same thing, this Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, amen, this baptism of the Spirit, same thing that we receive, which goes to show that this whole thing, this infilling of the Spirit wasn't just for Acts 2 in Jerusalem on that particular day because we're talking about another location, time removed from that time, and people are receiving the gift of the Spirit and they are speaking in other tongues. So this, this thing has not stopped since it started. This thing has not stopped since it started. Generations before us testified to the same. And uh, anybody that would say differently, they just need to experience a good apostolic Pentecostal service where someone just might just receive the Holy Ghost all over again. Amen. And be infilled with the Spirit. Amen. And so uh, it is still happening today. We spoke in the book of Acts. And this is really where we left off last week. We spoke in the book of Acts chapter number 8. We talked about the Samaritans having received the Holy Ghost. And we made mention how there were signs and miracles and wonders that took place there while Philip was in Samaria. But somehow they plainly identified in, in the parentheses in the scripture, they said that they knew that these men had not yet received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost had not yet fallen on any of them. 
And the question I pose to you, what, what, how did they know? I mean, did they mind read, heart read, you know, in order to tell that these men had not received the Holy Ghost? Yet when they called for Peter and John to come down, lay their hands on them and pray, they received the Holy Ghost, and these people testified to the fact that they did, but what was it? And I say without doubt, it was that they spoke in other tongues just as they did in Acts 2 and in Acts 10. For that matter, if Peter said those in Acts 10 received the Holy Ghost, our experience is no different from their experience, and they spoke in tongues in Acts 2 and they did in Acts 10, then I dare to say the, what they experienced as receiving the Holy Ghost in Acts 8, if there's no difference, as Peter said, they also spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Amen. For that matter, we also read in Acts chapter number 9, we read concerning the conversion of Saul, the persecutor of the early church. He was a religious man, absolutely, but a persecutor of the early church. Later, whenever Ananias went to him to pray for him because Saul had been struck with blindness on his way to Damascus, that whenever Ananias went into him and prayed with him, that he would be filled, he even says in Acts 9 and verse 17, and Ananias says that he would even be filled with the Holy Ghost, that there were scales, as it were, that, that, that fell from his eyes. And the Bible says, and he arose and was baptized. And so, <coughs> excuse me. He, uh, praise God. i tell you what, I'm trying to suck on a cough drop, but when you inhale and that juice is in your mouth, the rest is what was illustrated. Nevertheless, it says that, that, that he would be filled with the Holy Ghost, and it speaks that he was baptized, but we don't read necessarily anything of him speaking in other tongues. But there are other places of Scripture that we read of the Apostle Paul having speaking in tongues, and even in the book of Corinthians, Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians 14, he says that I speak in tongues more uh, than you all. But understanding that there are, there are differences, if you will, between the gift of the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues and the, 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 the gift of diverse tongues that's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Because a large part of society believe both of those one right on top of the other, that they are one and the same. That what it speaks of in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 is the same as uh, the speaking in other tongues as evidence that you've received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 2 when there is a distinguishment between the two. For instance, whenever one would speak with a diverse tongue or as we would call it, uh, the gifts of tongue interpretation go hand in hand. That whenever someone gives a message in tongues, that is a message that's given for the purpose that there would be an interpretation of tongues. And it's for the purpose of edifying the whole body. But whenever we talk about speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, amen, that is the first initial sign that you have the Spirit of God living inside of you. And there's no, nothing that's not necessary for there to be any type of interpretation uh, in that account whatsoever. Amen. But whenever we speak in tongues after we receive the Holy Ghost any time forward, what that tells me is that someone, that's an indication of a sign of a continued relationship. Amen. Of a continued relationship. I pray sometimes to God and sometimes I pray. The Bible says sometimes the Spirit makes intercession for us. And whenever the Spirit makes intercession for you, you will pray in tongues. Amen. And when you do that, you're praying in such a way that the Spirit is kind of praying through you. 
And when that happens, it can pray about things that you're not even aware about as a human being. You don't, you, you don't know the predicament or the situation, but the Spirit, you become a vessel for God's Spirit to pray through you, and it will pray concerning things you don't even have knowledge of. Amen. And so all of these things uh, uh, vary and differ to a certain degree. And the reason why I brought up the, the gift of diverse tongues, because throughout the first, first uh, Corinthians chapter number 12, the, the question is posed, uh, do all speak with tongues in verse number 30? And he's going through a list. Do all do this? Do all do that? Do all speak with tongues? Well, the tongues he's talking about is not the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about these diverse tongues that is in need of an interpretation. And so the question, do all speak with tongues? The answer is no. Not everybody is used in the gift of diverse tongues that's in need of interpretation. Not everybody. And so people tried, though, to take that verse number 30 in 1 Corinthians 12 and apply that then to our experience of the Holy Ghost that it's not necessary then to speak in tongues. That's a misapplication, a misapplication of the Scripture. Uh, for that matter, 1 Corinthians 12 starts out in verse number 1, and it tells us, and, and let me just read it here, find it and read it, and he says now, this is the first verse of this chapter that all this is contained in. Now concerning spiritual gifts, do you hear me? Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And so it's later in verse number 30, he says, do all speak with tongues? Well, the tongues he's talking about is the spiritual gift of tongues. Amen, divers kind of tongues. That is, is necessary that they have an interpretation. If not, everybody keeps silent. And the one who has given the message then prayed to God himself that he might be able to interpret, the scripture says. So there is... There is a difference. Uh, don't let anybody snap you into the mode. Well, 1 Corinthians 12 says, not all speak with tongues, and so it's kind of like option on a car, you can have it or not. No! When you receive the Spirit of God, that Spirit will speak through you. Amen. By virtue of speaking in other tongues. Amen. Going on from there, something else to denote about Acts chapter number 10, where Cornelius and his household was saved, it's in those scriptures, 44 through 48. If you'll let me just read them to you. Acts 10, verse 44 through 48. The Bible says, here Peter has come. He's speaking, he's preaching to them. He's speaking the word of God. He comes to verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, that just denotes the Jewish people. They were the circumcised. The uncircumcised were the Gentile people. All right, so there were some of the Jews that had come along with Peter, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is really rocking their boat for a people who first thought that this gift of the Holy Ghost was only for the Jews and the Jewish nation. And so this is rocking their boat to see someone that isn't a Jew be filled with the Spirit of the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues because they thought this was just for them. And so their understanding is being enlightened and Peter is going to even enlighten it a little bit more in Acts 2 whenever he goes back and references Joel. How this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Not just Jewish flesh. Amen but all flesh. So this is messing with them. That's the reason why they're astonished. For they heard, and here it is, the, the little thing again, 
the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost was the gift of the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them. The popular question we've always said is how did they know this? Verse 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, now look, then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They got it like we got it. All right? And he commanded, I say commanded. He commanded those Gentile believers that just received the Holy Ghost. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. I said all that to say this. We seen, we seen before in Acts chapter 8 that, that you, you, can, you can get uh, 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 repent and you can be baptized and not have yet received the Holy Ghost. That's what happened in Acts 8. They've done all that, but they didn't receive the Holy Ghost as of yet until Peter and John came down and prayed. And I told you last week, my pure speculation, I believe they need an increase of their faith. And when Peter and John, those that were part of that first group on the day of Pentecost, had come down and, and, and was there, that there was just something about that correlation, I think, that just helped their faith go over the edge. But what this illustrates to us is that it's quite possible for someone to receive the Holy Ghost, all right, before they've been baptized. But if water baptism has not happened and you've already received the Holy Ghost, look how Peter handles it. If you've received the Holy Ghost and you've not yet been baptized, he says, I command you. He doesn't say, well, you're so good it came without being baptized. No, 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 no. It's still a full, a full plan of salvation here. Repentance, baptism, Jesus name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. He just said, if you receive the Holy Ghost, he says, then I command you. Can any man forbid water that these should be baptized? This is the way it is. So if you receive the Holy Ghost, you've not yet been baptized. I command you. <laughs> I command you to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So he told us what is necessary and what needs to, be do, needs to be done. In Acts chapter 19, one of those other popular places in Scripture, I think is valid and important because in Acts 2, you have predominantly Jewish people that received the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that there were some proselytes, which basically mean there were some Gentiles that had adopted Judaism, all right? adopted circumcision all those things adopted judaism and uh so they some of them were there also the bible speaks in acts 2 that had received the holy ghost but in acts chapter number in acts chapter number 8 we see them getting the holy ghost but those are samaritans mixed jew mixed gentile and then acts chapter number 10 we see the gentiles getting the holy ghost and so some would just like to say well this whole speaking in tongue and all that ordeal is just because well that happened to one nationality the jews all right so this happened to another nationality the gentiles all right the first time it ever happened this happened then to another nationality you know the samaritans which is a mixed breed so if it happens the first time to a nationality that's the only time the tongues is involved but that's where the story goes awry in acts chapter 19 and i think with purpose that god included this in his book because in acts chapter number 19 we have some ephesian elders all right that the Bible says, and I'll read verses 1 through 6, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. And he said to them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said to them, 
Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, Verily, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, <clears throat> and they spake with tongues and prophesied. I believe this is importantly denoted in Scripture because these of Ephesus already covers the Gentile, already covered the Samaritan, already covered the Jew, but still yet they received the Holy Ghost in your belief upon because some would like to just take a solitary verse and build it just upon that, like later in Acts 2.21, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that's true along with a little bit more. You know, that, that's true, but that is not all there is to the truth. Amen. And so we see a norm that is established here. And whenever they seen that they hadn't yet received the Holy Ghost, you know what they started picking around with? If they've not yet received the Holy Ghost, there might be something wrong with their baptism. What were you baptized into? Well, it was just John's baptism. Yeah, but John said there's one coming after me. We're going to be baptized in his name. We're going to be baptized even with his spirit. Amen. And so on the day in tongues, as the Spirit gave the utterance, the Bible tells us in verse 5, and this is just where you look back to it. It won't be on the screen unless they get it up there. It tells us those that were there, Jews there of Jerusalem, devout people, people of every nation under heaven was here. This was noised abroad, and that could even refer back even to the sound of a rushing mighty wind that went that could have got people's attention or the simple fact of about 120 people that's speaking in all these different languages at one time that may have got their attention. But nevertheless, it drew a multitude, drew a multitude of people around where this was happening. Let me tell you something. You, you, you want to draw people to the first apostolic church, then let the Spirit work in the church. Hands down. You, 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 you. And so this thing was noised abroad. And here's what they heard, though, in verse number 6. They were confounded, the Bible says, because every man heard them speak in his own language. Later, it will give a list of some of the different countries that were represented. What happened was we had a group of people around here from different nations, and these people, these 120 were speaking in other tongues. They heard some of those people that they knew were not natives of their land. They heard them speak in their mother tongue. And in their mother language. As a matter of fact, the Bible says when they were doing this, that these people that were speaking these things, they were basically speaking all of the wonderful works of God. I'm sure it would just have been unbelievable. Amen. To have been in that scenario. So there were some people, let's say, uh, for instance, from our list here, there were some Medes because they said most of these people are Galileans. And, and that may or may not be true. Surely that net core of disciples were by and large, for the most part, Galileans. But let's say there were some Medes over here and they hear some Galileans speaking in their Mede tongue. Amen. And that what they're hearing is them proclaiming the wonderful works of God. Amen. That's taking place. So they are taken back by this very account. All right. Now here's the thing. The gift of the Holy Ghost and the tongues that came, those tongues were not present for the purpose of preaching the gospel to those diverse nationalities that were gathered together that day. 
See, that is the thought of some. Well, that's the reason why they spoke in tongues. And that's the reason why it only, that's the reason why we say it can only happen as it did in Jerusalem on the book of Acts and never again because they spoke another tongue so that they could preach the gospel to the different nationalities that was there on that day. Where in the world do you find that in the Bible? That's not the case. Because we read later that Peter stands up and he lifted up his voice. And he talked to all of these diverse people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they seemingly understand him primarily because uh, Peter probably spoke in Aramaic which, Aramaic, which was a native language of all Jews. Or he could also have been speaking in Greek of that day because most people adopted the Greek language as another language to their own. And so he just spoke one language to all people. And you know what? Before the day was over, 3,000 more got saved. So we're not talking that the Holy Ghost came and these people spoke in tongues so the gospel be spread. No, not at all. They spoke in tongues because they received the Spirit of God. And it so happens that when they were doing so, other people that heard their own language in those variety of people heard the wonderful works of God being proclaimed. Who knows what you say whenever you are speaking in other tongues? I've known we have stories, multitude of stories, about where people have been in foreign lands and have heard people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they might speak in tongues and speaking in tongues for them is the English language that they are totally, totally not e equipped, don't know, haven't ever heard of, but they speak there in plain English. But some English, someone from here, America is over there, hear them, they just receive the Holy Ghost. They not... Maybe they're a Spanish person, never knew a lick of English in their life, but they're speaking pure English. And many times it's just as described in Scripture. They're proclaiming the wondrous works of God. Amen. Hear it all the time. It's fantastic. It's just amazing. God, he's, he knows no bounds. And so we ask ourselves, then, then, then why, why tongues? Number one, and I'm just going through a bullet a list here. I'm not going to go through all these Scriptures. But if you wish to have them, I'm just going to say them. Number one, because first of all, God is sovereign. That's, that's a pretty generic blanket answer we could use really for a lot of things in this Christian experience that we don't always get. He's sovereign. What's that mean? He's all-powerful. He don't have to answer to anybody. He can do what he wants to do because he is who he is. And so Isaiah 40, 13 uh, through 14 kind of illustrate that. Also, Matthew 12, 34 has told us time and time again that from the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaketh. And when you get filled with the Spirit, uh-huh, and, and even in the Old Testament times, it's, it's, it's kind of described in such a way of a changed heart. Remember, we spoke about Jeremiah last week about this new covenant not being written upon the tables of stone like it was long ago, but written upon the tablets of your heart. And when that happens, the abundance of the heart, the mouth, amen. It's, it's like the, it's like the uh, you know, the outlet, you know, on your water heaters, you got that little valve there. If the pressure builds up too much, it's going to spill out over there. Well, that's your mouth. The Spirit of God comes inside of you and fills you so much, the release valve goes off. Boop. You go speak in another language as that Spirit gives you the utterance. Not only that, Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21, tells us that one of the chief ways of expression is through our mouth, with our tongue. Amen. James, for that matter, James is always uh, a go-to place, it seems like, for uh, why tongues may be uh, one of the means and reasons that Christ chose to use for uh, the infilling of the Holy Ghost or to indicate evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. In James chapter number 3, 
And the Bible states these words, and I'm going to read these to you, James 3 and verse number 2. For if there come unto your assembly, 3, not 2, 3 and verse 2, for in many things we offend all, but if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man is able to bridle his whole body. Behold, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us. Right? We do that. We put that bit in their mouth, gives us control, don't we? Over the whole horse. And we got that in his mouth. And we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governoreth listeth. So that little governor on that huge ship, if you got a hold of the, there at the helm of the ship, you got control of this large ocean vessel because you have control of that. And so he's making a comparison here and goes to verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member, <laughs> but boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fireth, fire kindleth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man, or I say no man, no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. There's life and death and the power of the tongue. Now, we're strong. You might be masculine. You can work out, Brother Zach. But I tell you, the hardest member muscle you'll ever have controlling, and that's your tongue. Said so we've done amazing things with things that have been wild, but our tongues no man can tame. And so, Christ uses the tongue that a man can't tame. Human beings can't tame. And sets it under the power and the control of his spirit. And he controls it. And uses something that we can't even properly use ourselves. And just as once the, the bridle gets in, or the bit gets in the horse's mouth, and he has control over the whole horse, and just as the little governor can take care of a whole ship, whenever Christ has control of your tongue, that's a good indication he has control of you. Amen. He has control of us. Amen. So, it says here that the, fires, the, the, the tongue is set on fire of heaven. So we have a choice in our, in our walk with the Lord to allow our tongue to be set on fire from heaven or allow it to be set on fire from hell. All right? Amen. That's the gist of the matter. Amen. <clears throat> Going on, I spoke just a little while ago, but just a little bit more concerning this diverse kind of tongues and tongues with the Holy Ghost. Tongues with the Holy Ghost is for evidence. Divers kind of tongues of 1 Corinthians 12, again, is for edification. In reality, there's probably about three types. I say three. I'm not going to hold it directly to that, but about three types of tongues. And that is one which is evidence of the Holy Ghost that we see throughout the book of Acts, Acts 2 and, and, and Acts 10 and Acts 19, so on and so forth. And then it would be the divers kind of tongues that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, where there's tongues, and we pray for an interpretation. And then in Acts 14, which is what I read to you earlier, where Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where there is a personal renewing of your spirit and in your personal devotion to God. You pray or you speak to the Lord in tongues. All right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, I'm going on here. I thought I would be short, but I'm already getting lonely. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, the Bible says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, 
whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been made and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So this tells me by one spirit we are baptized into one body. The way into the body of Christ, all right, or the way into Christ is by baptism. And when I say baptism, that means both, both water and spirit, baptism. And so the scripture plainly tells us that the spirit, the spirit baptism, because this seems to be the theme of this particular chapter, deals with the works of the spirit or the gifts of the spirit. The Bible says in Romans 6 and verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. It is by baptism, both water and spirit baptism. And that's what Romans 6 here is, uh, is alluding to, is a water baptism, being baptized into his death and then we walk into a newness of life being planted together placed submerged immersed in the ground uh, anytime I preach um, the Pentecostal experience for uh, anybody that has a home Bible study this is a scripture that is tucked in there and I always tell them concerning baptism you look at the terminology you see buried you see planted amen whenever we talk about someone being buried we don't go out to the cemetery and see a handful of dirt laying on their casket when you bury something, you cover it up. And when you're buried in the name of Jesus, you're immersed in the water. We talk about being planted. You plant a seed. It's not just throwing it on the ground. It's putting it in the soil. Again, it's covered up. And so when we're baptized with him in baptism, watery grave of baptism, we are immersed in that water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Going on. Amen. Verses 5 through 8 of Acts chapter number 2. Going back there again. <clears throat> Another reason why these people are a little appalled and confounded about the Galileans that are speaking in these tongues and languages is because by and large, just between me, you, and the fence post, the, guy, the Galileans wasn't known for being real learned individuals and educated individuals so this kind of takes it to another degree we see these unlearned and uneducated people speaking in these multitude of languages so they're a little confounded uh, because of this and the bible says they spoke in other tongues now me being an outsider knowing what someone usually speaks if i say other tongue then i'm just telling you that they spoke in something other than what's my native you understand what i'm saying or if, as Mark 16 says, that these signs shall follow them that believe they shall speak in, the Bible says, use the terminology, new tongues. Many times it's new that it's something just clear out, brand new. No, it's new to you. You understand? It's new to you. And if you look at verses 9 through 11, it lists, and I'm not going to read this, but it lists all these various lands, uh, third world countries, foreign lands that are represented on the day of Pentecost and again denote that in like in verse 10 there were strangers of Rome there were Jews and proselytes like I said a proselyte was nothing more but a Gentile that accepted Judaism as their own all right and no again verse 11 when they spoke in these other tongues again the Greek it is absolutely they spoke in other languages it's not just gibberish 
It's not gibberish. They spoke in other languages that the Bible says, and, and they were declaring the wonderful works of God. Some would pose that speaking in tongues is of the devil. Well, if it was, then I can't imagine the devil speaking the wonderful works of God. <laughs> All right? Amen. They are not of the devil, but they happened as the Spirit gave the utterance. And so they were speaking the wonderful works of God. Have you ever heard somebody, Brother McGee, that spoke in tongues that was of the devil? Yes. Yes. For anything God has that's genuine, the devil will always try to manufacture a counterfeit. Okay? I remember one time we were holding a revival in Ohio, and there was a young girl, and I probably told this story before. Welcome to hear it again. Pull in close. Amen. But we were up there, and uh, we were praying with this young lady and a uh, pastor, and there was a youth pastor that was there. We was praying, and all of a sudden she started speaking in tongues. But it was the most hateful, most hateful, just, just horrible. I mean, it was just like the meanest tongues I ever heard, you know, coming forth. And they were saying, well, you know, some were like, yeah, glory, amen. I said, oh, wait a minute, no, 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 no. The Bible speaks that whenever Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord, as a, giving us a metaphor, as a dove lighted upon him. Being symbolical of his spirit, a dove is peaceable. And so this guttural, mean, vicious tongues that was coming forth, that wasn't the Holy Ghost. That was another spirit. It wasn't as a dove, Sister Jessup. And I knew that was, we were doing another spirit. And we continued praying with this young lady. And in that course, you could tell just like the hinge on the door when that thing went the other direction. And there was a peaceable spirit that came up on her. And it was like a total difference and change. Only to learn after the fact she spoke and testified to us of her involvement in Wicca and witchcraft and so on and so forth. So I'm here to tell you, yeah, there can be a counterfeit. And that's where we take the discerning of the spirit, though, to know this is true, this is not true, so on and so forth. And I guarantee you, honey, if they're spitting out their mouth and it sounds guttural and like they're about ready to tear your head off, it's probably, you know. And their eyes are in the back of their head while they're doing it. Okay, we're probably dealing with some other spirit. Some other spirit. Amen. So they recounted the wonderful works of God. And what was so neat about that, that was common for the Jews. They commonly did that. You read throughout the Psalms, it's filled where uh, you can take the exact phrase, look it up, the wonderful works that he has done. You see the Jews constantly recounting that or the wonderful works of the children of men. Constantly they would recount that. And the Bible says then all of this has happened. And some people, whenever they experience this, some people were amazed and in doubt saying what meaneth this and others mocked this is the typical reaction from then until now there will be people that will be amazed there will be people that will be in doubt and there will be other people that mock something that they don't understand and we'll get into it a little bit deeper next week but you know what the greatest response is to all three regardless it's what Peter did you know what he went from there he preached the word he preached the word that can build upon a person's amazement that can refute and bring to silence the doubt and it will bring the, the, the mockers to a, a greater place of, 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 of understanding preach the word they said what meaneth this and this is what it says in verse 13 and this is where I'm ending for tonight and we go on next week said others mocking said these men are full of new wine New wine in the Greek means sweet wine. What that was was fresh grape juice before it was fermented. 
So these are full of new wine. And we'll find out next week, Peter says, but it's just the, it's, it, it, <coughs> it is just the uh, uh, third hour of the day, which is about 9 a.m. in the morning. We'll come to find out Jewish custom was they didn't even eat or drink until after 9 o'clock, period, because they were doing, having their devotion with God up to that moment of time. That's just Jewish custom. Amen. So he says, you all just a bunch of crazy. He said, they're not drunk. I'm not saying they're not drunk, but I'm just saying they're not drunk as you suppose them drunk. Glory, amen. Hallelujah. Stand with me tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.